40% of the roster is new. Now, that can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. Because last year's roster was a little bit up and down. And now it feels like there's a new edge. There's a new chip on the shoulder. Well, welcome to the Friday edition of Always College Football. Today is August 12th. We really appreciate you being with us from wherever it is you're coming to us from, whether that's on the ESPN YouTube channel or if you're listening via podcast on Apple Podcast or Spotify, we really appreciate you. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Only rate if you're going to give five stars, of course, naturally, right? We really appreciate you. The interaction helps us. Hit us up in the comments on the ESPN YouTube channel. Tell us where we can get better because we're trying to tailor the show to what you guys want the show to become. We have a great game plan in store today. We're going to continue on with our series of breaking down 10-win teams from a year ago. Today, three great teams from last year. We're going to hit Wake Forest, we're going to hit Oklahoma, and we're going to hit Michigan State. So a lot to look forward to here on the Friday edition. So let's not waste any time. Let's get down to it. Let's talk about it. Continuing our series from earlier in this week, when we talk about teams that did really have great seasons last year, win 10 games, eclipse 10 games, whatever it may be. We've talked about some teams that have done a great job. And now we're going to talk about whether or not they can continue that great job. So we're going to continue with that series right now by talking about three programs, Michigan State, Oklahoma, and Wake Forest, and try to figure out whether or not they'll be able to eclipse that 10-win plateau yet again. We're going to start with Michigan State. That was a surprising year last year. Nobody saw that coming. I think even players on the roster would tell you, hey, man, we're going to go 11-2. and two. We're going to play in the New Year's Six, going to win our New Year's Six Bowl game. Uh, I'm not sure even the biggest Spartan fan would have anticipated a breakthrough like that in Mel Tucker's second year. So credit to them with what they're able to accomplish. But we'll do with them like we've done with every other team in this series. We're going to talk about the bad news. We're going to talk about the good news and whether or not it's likely that they can get back to where they were a year ago. Let's start with the bad news. Bad news, there is no Kenneth Walker walking off that bus this year. He was amazing last year, y'all. I mean, start to finish, from the start of the season to where they were at the end of the season, the guy should have been in New York. What he accomplished last year in that run game was nothing short of phenomenal. And to think he came from Wake Forest, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit, to think he came from Wake Forest, no one really knew what to make of Kenneth Walker. I don't think anyone realized, hey, he has that kind of burst. He has that kind of top-end speed. He can get to the edges as quickly as he could. He was decisive in the run game, but also a bit of a one-cut runner, but could dance too. Uh, I think watching him in person, there were very few running backs last year that impressed me as much as Kenneth Walker. We had him against Miami, and Miami could not tackle Kenneth Walker. Couldn't do it. Couldn't tackle anybody that day. But needless to say, Kenneth Walker was amazing. All right? That's the first reason why I think it's going to be very difficult to replicate that success. We'll talk about the transfers they have in at running back here in just a little bit. That's part of the good news. The second part of bad news. A lot of new faces along that offensive line. If you look at what Walker did last year, he was great but he didn't do it by himself. That was a veteran group along the front from left to right that's needing to find a lot of key replacements. Now, they might be able to do it. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, but you lose essentially the entire right side. You lose the center in Matt Allen. You lose the right guard in Kevin Jarvis. 
You lose AJ Curie, who is right tackle for it feels like forever. You lose those guys, and you lose two key replacements that were in the mix from time to time, and Luke Campbell and Blake Buter. So you lose two guys that were adequate veteran replacements. Across the board, it felt like they were all juniors and seniors last year. Well, now the right side needs to be completely overhauled. And if you look at what they had to deal with in the spring ball, they had a ton of injuries. So the offensive line, they couldn't necessarily gel. They didn't have their top five out there at any one given time because it felt like guys were in and out of the lineup because of injuries. So they didn't get the quality reps that you need throughout the spring to be able to get and manufacture the chemistry necessary to put forth a united front. That's the second piece of bad news. Here's the third piece of bad news. And anyone that's watched Michigan State knows that I am beating a dead horse. I apologize in advance for that. But you have to clean up the pass defense. You have to. And I know last year people will point at the schedule. They'll say, well, we played Ohio State. We played Purdue. We played Western Kentucky. Three of the best passing offenses in the country. Okay, we also made average teams look good through the year as well. And that is inexcusable. Now, you can take this as a good or bad news. <laughs> interpret it as you will. One, there's only one direction to go. You can't get worse than you were last year. Not going to happen. You were the worst in college football. Can't get worse. So you're going to be better naturally. By law of, law of averages, you're going to be better. Here's the second piece that could either be good or bad. You bring everybody back. Now, some people think, well, hang on a second. We, we struggled last year. Now everybody's back. Why, why would we want that? Well, sometimes now, especially in a system like this, with the way they pattern match and the way they pass off receivers from one defender to another, sometimes another year in the system can go a long way to help you better understand how to work together in unison. And this is a complicated defensive scheme. There's no denying that. So years in the system is beneficial. And you go out and you grab Amir Speed from Georgia, who also plays in a similar system. Remember, Mel Tucker's been with Kirby Smart, been with Nick Saban, uses that system there in East Lansing. So he goes and gets a guy that's familiar with the system, and you got to feel pretty good about that. So every major contributor from last year is back, with the exception of the new addition in Amir Speed. So hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, please, please, please be better in 2022 when it comes to your past defense. Those are the three pieces of bad news that could keep Michigan State away from the 10-win plateau. Let's go to the good news, all right? We know they're really, really solid at quarterback. Feel great about what they have at quarterback. I know people say, well, Peyton Thorne, you know, I don't, you know TBD, we'll see. Some weeks he's great, some weeks he's not. Uh, that's fine. Okay, interpret it as you will. The guy has not had as many opportunities. Remember, he had a COVID year. Last year was a little bit better. But now he comes into a normal offseason for the second time with a completely different feeling. Like he is the unquestioned, no doubt starter and can build on where he left off last year. Some of the young guys that came come, coming through co you know, college football there in COVID, man, their, their development was hindered. It almost set them a year behind. It just was a little bit difficult. So for him to have occasional ups and downs last year was to be expected. Now I only expect the ups. And I think his chemistry and understanding of what they want to do offensively and his chemistry with a great wide receiver in Jaden Reed we're looking at a situation, y'all, where this group could be one of the best quarterback wide receiver duos in the Big Ten. 
Now, will they eclipse that of C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba? No, I'm, I'm not going to project that. I'm not going to predict that. But tell me someone else that you think is on that level as far as a quarterback and a top-tier wide receiver. I mean, at worst, what are they, three? At worst? We'll see. Either way, you look at what Peyton Thorne did last year. He broke Michigan State's single-season passing touchdown record with 27. He threw for 300 or 3,200 yards. And that was the third most, by the way, in school history. And he comes back now with a legit threat at wide receiver and a quality supporting cast around him. I think this quarterback wide receiver tandem has a chance to do really special things this year. And if the running game's not what it was last year, and maybe the offensive line takes a little while to gel and they can't get the run game going, perfect. Still got opportunities on the outside to create big plays. Here's the second reason why I think they can get back to the 10-win mark this year. Jarek Broussard and Jalen Berger. Those two names. Those two names. All right, if you're not familiar with who those guys are, it's understandable, I guess. <laughs> Jarek Broussard is a transfer from Colorado, and he was the 2020 Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. He rushed for nearly 900 yards. Now you're going to see 900 yards. That was the COVID-shortened season. Remember, the Pac-12 was very late to the party when it came to the college football season, so he didn't get that many carries. He didn't get that many opportunities. But 900 yards and five touchdowns in six games, pretty solid. Couple that with the fact that his production last year dipped because Colorado as a whole really dipped. So is he a situation or a similar situation to that of Kenneth Walker where you're really not sure what you're going to get? We've seen him be great. We've seen him be average. Well, maybe this year with a quality supporting cast, he gets back to being great like it was two years ago. He's not to be alone in the backfield because you look at Michigan State forever. They're always going to have quality stable of backs. Well, overcomes Jalen Berger from Wisconsin, who was a consensus four-star recruit across the board when he was coming out of high school. And in 2020, he was Wisconsin's leading rusher. Now, much like what we just talked about with Jerick Broussard, that was an abbreviated season for the Wisconsin Badgers, but still, he appeared in just three games last year and was dismissed from the team. So I don't know exactly what he's going to be this year, but if you look at the tape from two years ago, it was promising. Hopefully, he can replicate some of that success. And if those two don't work out, you can go a little bit deeper. Davion Prim, based on how people are talking about him, he's a redshirt freshman. Based on how people around the program are talking about him, he might be the next great one in line. You also have Jordan Simmons, who was the primary backup last year and averaged four yards a carry. And you got some other guys, too, to kind of help out, whether it be Harold Joyner on third down situational football as well. So you look at this running back stable, and albeit there are some unknowns, there's also a lot of positivity surrounding those unknowns because some of the guys that have played that will be stepping into that spot, they've done so at a fairly high level, albeit it was in the COVID year of 2020. And here's the last reason why I feel pretty good about Michigan State this year is that the front seven on the defensive side has a chance to be not just among the best, but you can make a case that they could be the best in the entire Big Ten. Now, Wisconsin and others, you know, Iowa, of course, with what they bring back, there's several that might have an argument to be the best front seven defensively in the Big Ten. But if you look at the defensive line last year, they led the Big Ten in sacks last year with 42. 
And that was oftentimes, you know, in a high pressure situation that just when you watch them, they did not get constant pressure. It was not like a down in, down out basis where you just have guys that are pinning their ears back and going after the quarterback. Yeah, you got Jacob Slade who's coming back and you got some young guys like Simeon Barrow who's got a chance to really grow here in 2022. But it's not like they had dynamic, super dynamic, super twitchy edge rushers. They got to find those guys. But I feel pretty good about some of the pieces that they bring back. You look also, too, at the second level. This last year was one of the most unknown units on the roster. Well, next thing you know, fast forward a year with some additions via the portal, whether it be Cal Holiday or the addition of UNLV's Jacob Winman, this might be a unit. You also include Aaron Brule in this. This might be a unit that could take the biggest leap from where they were last year to where they could be this year. So I think that front seven defensively has a chance to be very, very stout. After a solid year in 2021, I think they could blossom even more so in 2022. So if I had to pick right now, I think Michigan State gets back to 10. I think it'll be tough, but I think it's very doable given the pieces that they bring back and knowing at the same time that they have quality additions in the transfer portal with a veteran quarterback, quality coordinators, a head coach that preaches toughness and favorable matchups scattered throughout the schedule. Let me ask you about the schedule because they have an October where they're hosting Ohio State, hosting Wisconsin. They get a week off and then they go at Michigan. Yeah. Best case scenario for Michigan State in that three game stretch. Well, worst case scenario for them is one and two. You cannot go on three. Uh, you have to first acknowledge that Ohio State. Yes, I don't like the matchup, especially what we just talked about as far as the pass defense is concerned. They got to grow by leaps and bounds. So I don't like the matchup against Ohio State at all. But if you look at Michigan, man, they've had Michigan's number. And this is when Michigan has been pretty dang solid. Now, is Michigan going to be better this year than they were last year? I kind of have a hard time thinking that they will be. Maybe offensively they might, but defensively? I have a hard time envisioning that. So I think they can get Wisconsin for sure. Like I just said, they're really solid in the front seven. I think they'll be very difficult and stout against the run and create negative plays. But I also think, too, if you're going to beat Michigan State, you better be able to air it out. And right now, I don't know if Wisconsin could do that. So I'd like their matchup okay against Wisconsin. Toss-up game. Feel good about it, though. And then I think their matchup against Michigan is another toss-up game. So I think they could definitely go 2-1 and one in that span. But they could also go 0-3. So... Worst case scenario, to be able to obviously achieve a 10-win season, you have to go at worst one and two. But two and one, I think, is well within reason. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. 
That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. All right, now on to the Oklahoma Sooners, one of the most fascinating teams of the offseason. I don't need to walk you through all the amazing years they've had, all the amazing things they've done in the last decade, two decades, you name it. They are, without question, a blue blood in the sport, one of the best programs in America, and will continue to be regardless of who the coach is. But we need to dive into whether or not they can get back to the 10-win plateau this year. We know last year was a little bit unique. It was a little different. It didn't look like the Oklahoma team we've come to expect. They were inconsistent. They really were average at times, and it was almost borderline troubling to watch. But it feels like this year, especially if you talk to Oklahoma fans, they feel great about what they have. They feel great about what they brought back, and they love the fact that Brett Venables is their head coach. Understandably so. After Lincoln Riley left, that was a hurt fan base. It was a hole in their heart. After seeing him leave for a program that they view as beneath them, it's understandable that it would be troubling and difficult to kind of swallow is be a tough pill to swallow would but at the same time they feel as though they have now created addition by subtraction and now brett venables is going to do the things that lincoln riley could never get done we'll get to him in just a minute but like every other team let's do it the bad news and the good news here's the bad news defensively they were just mediocre last year and they had good players that's what I think is most troubling about when you watch last year's Oklahoma team is that they were talented and yet they didn't play very well. And we're talking about a team that gave up 26 points a game, gave up nearly 400 yards a game offensively. And that was with the likes of Brian Asamoa and Nick Benito and, and Perry and Winfrey and, and Isaiah Thomas. Like those were guys that will play on Sundays and will have careers playing in the NFL. And yet felt like every time I watched this defense, it was as if they were underachieving. So that's, I guess, good news or bad news, <laughs> you know, depending on how you want to look at it. I think it's the bad news because with good players, it still didn't pan out. More on the defense here in just a little bit. Another piece of the bad news, they have to replace the rushing production. If you look at Oklahoma in the last, gosh, forever, it feels like they've always been able to effectively run the football. Last year was no different. But some of the pieces that they relied on last year to create such rushing production was Caleb Williams, and Kennedy Brooks. Kennedy Brooks finished fourth in the Big 12 in rushing yards with 1,253. Okay. Caleb Williams was their second best ball carrier, averaged like 40 yards a game or whatever it was. So, either way, I mean, you have those two guys that were pretty dang solid that you relied on heavily. The good news is you have Eric Gray, who comes back as the incumbent. However, he only had 412 yards last year. I mean, that's a pretty significant gap between what you got from Kennedy Brooks and what you got from Eric Gray. Now, he did average over five yards a carry, but I think all of us collectively, when he transferred over from Tennessee, maybe our expectation level was a little unrealistic, thinking that he was going to be this guy that was just going to be a factor in the passing game, get it to him on the perimeter, let's go. And it it just never really materialized last year. Now, he won't be alone in the backfield. If you look at some of the other guys that might be factoring in, Marcus Major and a couple of freshmen, Javante Barnes and Gavin Sacek, they might be in a spot where they could potentially take some of that role as well if Eric Gray doesn't take the next step. You read between the lines, though. You see and listen to what Jeff Levy says about Eric Gray. It feels like he is poised within this offense to be the go-to guy. 
Of course, Major only played in three games last year because of eligibility issues. But either way, he's got a lot of talent. So hopefully, whoever it is at running back, you know Oklahoma's going to have talented guys at running back. They always do. But can they adequately replace the production from last year? That's a question mark of mine. The good news is Jeff Lebby, previously of Ole Miss, Ole Miss last year in the SEC, finished 12th in the FBS in rushing with backs that were solid. Jerry Neely, actually, one of their lead backs, Reminds me an awful lot of Eric Gray. So I think he knows how to use the numbers to his advantage and will create advantages in the run game that maybe were a little bit different than what we saw last year from Lincoln Riley and that style of offense. It'll be similar in some ways, but very different in some ways. Jeff Levy, I think, will use things and utilize a slightly different back to be able to create advantages in the run game. So that's the second question. Can they replace the rushing productivity? And then the third thing... I want to see from Oklahoma. And for the first time, it feels like in forever, they were very inconsistent offensively last year. If you remove defensive and special teams touchdowns, they averaged less than 20 points a game against Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. That's with Caleb Williams. That's with Marvin Williams. That's with talented pieces on this offense. And yet they averaged. If you take away the defensive and special team scores, less than 20 points per game against the three best defenses that they faced, that's just not good enough. And I think in all of those games, aside from you know the performance against Western Carolina, you take that 76-pointer out, they averaged less than 39 points a game, which doesn't really feel like... you know That feels a little bit more like the Sooners, right? Like 39 points a game, that's what I expect from Oklahoma. Not less than 20. So they got to be able to get back to scoring a lot of points against quality competition. Those are the three things that concern me. We're average on defense, even with great players. The consistent offensive performance was the tiniest bit concerning, and you got to replace some really solid pieces that contributed to the run game last year in Caleb Williams and Kennedy Brooks. Here's the good news. All right, and there's lots of good news, I think, for Oklahoma. Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy. That's number one. We already talked a little bit about what Jeff Levy brings, how he's going to formulate his attack, getting numbers, tempo, wide splits by the wide receivers, which creates conflict for the defense because they can't play the pass and they can't play the run. They got to make a choice. And that's a difficult thing for defensive coordinators to decide, play in, play out. But the thing that I love most is that this offense requires the quarterback to be an extension of the offensive coordinator. Because they move fast, that quarterback better understand exactly why the coordinator is calling this specific play. Well, Dylan Gabriel, if you go back just a couple years and you look at how he's executed this offense, he's done so beautifully. In 2019 and 2020, the guy threw for over 7,200 yards, 61 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. That's in this style of attack. I think that goes to show you he knows exactly what Jeff Levy wants from him. So when Jeff Levy calls in a play, he knows exactly where to look. He knows exactly how to execute it. And he knows how to get the most out of that specific play. Being an extension of the coordinator's massive. Dylan Gabriel is that. What a huge pickup in the transfer portal. I think it's a perfect marriage for him. Usually most teams, hey, you lose Caleb Williams. Like, all right, well, shut it down. Shut down the program this year, y'all. No, I think you guys have a chance to be just as good at quarterback. Maybe not just as talented at quarterback because Caleb Williams, very few people are as talented as Caleb Williams. I mean, talent is 
it just, I mean, he oozes off of him. But as far as experience and being able to execute at a really high level and being efficient, Dylan Gabriel won't skip a beat with what Caleb Williams did in an Oklahoma uniform last year. Coupled that with the fact that you have great perimeter weapons. I think Marvin Mims will have a bounce back season. There's just a lot to like about what this offense is going to look like with Dylan Gabriel under center or in shotgun, because I can't imagine we're going to see a whole lot of under center and Jeff Levy in the booth calling the shots. Here's the second reason transfer portal. Those that taketh, you know, people took from Oklahoma, right? We know that they took from Oklahoma. Well, Oklahoma also took a little bit themselves. Let's just go through the list. Dylan Gabriel, the aforementioned Dylan Gabriel, of course, from UCF. All right. Jeffrey Johnson, defensive tackle from Tulane. Been around, played a lot of football, by the way. Might be a name you know, but, you know, a, a still a guy that's played an awful lot. McCade Mathieu, who, who's an offensive lineman from Cal. Going to be fill, probably filling in one of the guard spots. He'll bring an edge. He'll bring a toughness. Be a good fit for what they want to be. You bring a defensive back in Trey Morrison from North Carolina. Bring Connie Walker, who's a corner from Louisville. You bring a corner from Wyoming and CJ Colden. You got LV Bunkley Shelton, who's a wide receiver from Arizona State. J.J. Hester, a wide receiver from Missouri. Bentavious Thompson, running back from UCF. I mean, you catch, you catch my drift here? Those are a lot of guys, maybe not necessarily household names, but a lot of guys that have played college football before that are now going to be spotting in on your roster, maybe becoming immediate day one starters, but if nothing else, contributing to the depth of what was already pretty solid recruiting classes that Lincoln Riley had tied together over the last few years. So I think they're in a great spot right now when assessing the 30,000-foot perspective of the roster. Given all the departures, given how many guys that, that Lincoln Riley took with him to SC, man, Venables and his staff did a pretty good job of getting the tape on from other colleges and trying to figure out, all right, which guys fit us and which guys should we add in the portal. 40% of the roster is new. Now, that can be a good thing. Or that can be a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because last year's roster was a little bit up and down and now it feels like there's a new edge. There's a new chip on the shoulder of Oklahoma and I'm excited about the intensity that Brett Venable is going to bring along with all those young guys, those new guys, those new faces. They're hungry, they're excited and I think they want to go out and make sure that the narrative is written by them, not by the outside media. The transfer portal was massive. I mean, we've already talked about a lot of guys. Plus, I mean, think about some of the young guys, too, that are just waiting. I mean, Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs, Marcus Stripling. I mean, these are young guys that came in as ballyhooed recruits that are now going to be stepping into key roles, both on the offensive side and the defense side of the football. All right? When you think about this team, I just gave you two reasons why I think they're going to be great. All right? I think Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy. Now, I think all the transfers, they have a chance to be really, really good. Here's one. This is the first time we've done this in this series. Good slash bad news. Brent Venables. Now, I just told you that I gravitate towards his energy. I've covered him. I've called his games. I've seen the way he operates as a defensive coordinator. Few have done it better in the last decade in college football. If few, if any, I might add. So there is an excitement right now surrounding Oklahoma. Understandably so. The fans especially feel like Venable's going to take them to new heights and that Lincoln Riley was letting them down because they weren't tough enough or whatever. 
I think Lincoln Riley's phenomenal. All right. And just being able to just fill that void immediately with a guy that's never been a head coach before, it's not a slam dunk. It's not a guarantee that he's going to be the next, you know, Barry Switzer. It's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee that he's going to be the next Bob Stoops because for every Bob Stoops who came from Florida as the defensive coordinator and had a great 15-year run, 16-year run as the head coach at Oklahoma, for every Bob Stoops, there's a Will Muschamp who's had not one but two failed head coaching jobs. One at South Carolina and, of course, one at Florida. Great defensive mind, great defensive coordinator, a guy that was universally respected with what he did on that side of the ball, had a ton of intensity, was always fired up on the sideline. Well, it didn't work out at Florida. It didn't work out at South Carolina. So you can tell me right now, like, you know for sure that Brent Venables is an upgrade. I can't tell you that. I think Brent Venables is the right guy at the right time for what Oklahoma needs. They're making the transition into the SEC. They're upping their recruiting levels. They're doing a great job in attracting people from the portal. I think he hired a tremendous offensive coordinator in Jeff Levy. I am so optimistic about where Oklahoma's going, but I don't know at this point right now that moving from Lincoln Riley to Brent Venables is an upgrade. I will not say that. I hope it is for Oklahoma fans. I genuinely do. I hope it is, but I cannot tell you that right now. So that's why good news slash bad news you have a new head coach in Brent Venables. Interpret that, that as you will. Oklahoma hasn't finished outside the top 10 since 2014. At what point will the fans accept kind of a new coach and all the changes? And if they start to lose a game or two, will there be more pressure on Venables? Or is there going to be a little leeway from the fans after what a tumultuous offseason? Uh, there's no leeway at places like Oklahoma. <laughs> like, I mean, they go out, they go eight and four. It's it's not going to be pleasant, right? Especially depending on who you lose to. You know, I mean, you lose Texas, you lose to Oklahoma State. I mean, there's some games that are more valuable than others. I mean, you can just tell me. I mean, you tell me, like, losing to Texas Tech hurts, sure. Yeah, that's at the end of the season and whatnot. But losing to Texas hurts more. <laughs> it just If that's your fan base, that's just the way it is. But, you know, I think that Brett Venables just has to be himself, man. Like, just be yourself and understand, man, this is a this is a great job. You were patient, and Oklahoma fans will react strongly. But I think also a little bit of the pressure that he might feel will be dependent on what USC looks like. If USC is at eleven to one and wins the Pac twelve and makes the college football playoff, that's going to ramp up the pressure in Norman, Oklahoma, whether you like it or not. It's just a simple truth. Because we're now proving it. Uh, clearly, Lincoln Riley's a, a miracle worker because he just got USC from four and eight to eleven and one, and into the college football playoff discussion. So that will, I think, not that Oklahoma fans care about what SC does, but they do. Like they'll never admit it, but I think they do, and that's understandable. It's human nature. Like, how could you possibly? I mean, I'm I'm a diehard Dodger fan, diehard Dodger fan, and every time past players have gone on to have success against us, it's eaten me up inside. Like nobody has rooted harder against Jock Peterson than me in the NLDS last year or the NLCS, whatever, whatever series we played the the Atlanta Braves in. Like a Jock Peterson tore us apart. It's like, golly, why do we let him go? Like, you know what I mean? I rooted for him to strike out every time. So uh, that's just, I think the way it is a little bit. So regardless of, of what, 
what we see from Oklahoma this year. And by the way, I think they're going to be good. So I'm not that concerned about pressure and all this other stuff. Some of the pressure will be amplified if SC has a miraculously good season. It's just the reality of the situation. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And then finally, coming off their first 10-win season since 2006, looking for the first back-to-back 10-win seasons in program history. It's the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Unfortunately, they've been in the news cycle this week. We've already updated you here on Always College Football about Sam Hartman's situation. He has been sidelined indefinitely with a non-football-related issue. He had a procedure. His head coach, Dave Clawson, has already come out, said he'll be back. They've already said who's going to be the starter in the near term. But right now, it's anybody's guess as to whether or not he'll be available at any point. I'm hoping he is, hoping for a speedy recovery. He, of course, kicks off the bad news for the Deeks in an effort to try to get back to the 10-win plateau. That's the first piece of bad news. Second piece of bad news, the teams with great defensive lines have long given Wake Forest fits. They averaged 30 points per game every year since 2017, but if you look at how they've played against Clemson, you look at how they've played against Pitt, that slow mesh that they do in the backfield can get eaten alive if you have really strong defensive line personnel. They'll just walk those offensive linemen into the back, they'll cloud the read for the quarterback, and make life really, really difficult on you offensively. That's why if you look at their offensive performances, most of which... Their dominant games have come against teams with subpar defensive line personnel. And that's, I think, a position group that is improving across the board in the ACC. You still have some issues with depth. That's the second big concern. They have good frontline talent across the board. But if you look at a lot of their key positions along the offensive line, at running back, at wide receiver, along the defensive line, second level defensively, in the secondary... They really have solid starting 22, but where some teams can go 44, you know, even in some cases 60 deep on their roster with quality pieces where there wouldn't be a crazy drop off from the starters to the backups, Wake Forest does not yet have that luxury. They do have decent depth at certain spots. There are some places where they can overcome that wide receiver in particular, but they have not necessarily been able to recruit to the same level as some of the other teams we've mentioned that are winning 10 games a year or are in the hunt for 10 games a year. This is one of those teams that has to have the stars aligned. They have to stay healthy and they have to play really well at the big moments in order to get back to the 10-win plateau. That's reason number two. The depth is still an issue. Reason number three, 
It's going to be very, very difficult to get back to that 10-win season. Is The division is much, much more difficult, it feels like, today than it was even last year. I think Clemson bounces back. The coaches do, too. They're number four in the preseason poll. And you look at their game against Clemson last year, the game was not really that competitive. Clemson was the more physical team. They were the more dominant team. And that game got a little bit sideways. That was Clemson's probably best performance of the year. And they were able to get things done relatively easily against a Wake Forest team that was really, really good. Of course, Clemson was down. Wake was up. Well, Clemson's back up. Will Wake be up? We'll find out. Florida State feels like they're taking the next step. think they're going to be better this year. NC State, some people are saying they are a sleeper team for the college football playoff. They bring back arguably the best quarterback in the league. They bring back a lot of good pieces on the front seven defensively. I just talked about how that defensive line of NC State could make life very difficult for the Wake Forest offense. So we know NC State. Boston College is a bowl team with Jerkovic back, with Flowers back at wide receiver. They're a bowl team, and you know that Jeff Halfley's done a pretty good job on the recruiting trail, relatively speaking, so they're going to have good pieces. The big question is their offensive line. Will they be as good as last year? I don't know. And then Louisville. I think Louisville is going to be a lot better this year. You got to think with Malik Cunningham, the run game, new offensive coordinator, pretty solid pieces. At some spots defensively, Louisville is going to be a bowl team. Shoot, I even think Syracuse has a legit chance to go bowling. They have arguably, if not for Bijan Robinson, I think Sean Tucker is the best running back in America. Besides Bijan Robinson, Sean Tucker is arguably the best running back in America. So you look at the entire division, man, it is really, really tough. And I wouldn't be surprised if anyone in that ACC Atlantic division, I wouldn't be surprised if any of those teams, all of those teams, that is, make it to the postseason and get to bowl eligibility at six and six. All right, here's the good news. With the exception of Hartman, who's out indefinitely, you bring back just about everybody offensively. You have an experienced offensive line that has played a lot of football together. You have an experienced running back in Justice Ellison that is really solid and could blossom with more carries and more opportunities. They usually roll them pretty good, two, three deep there at Wake Forest. But Ellison has been the lead back now for quite some time. He's got a chance, I think, to take the next step, potentially assuming the quarterback, whoever that may be, Griffiths, Mitch Griffiths is who they're saying it's going to be right now. Maybe it's Kern. We'll find out. If he makes good decisions with the football, the defense can really never be right. Well, hoping that the quarterback, whoever it is, makes good decisions, Ellison might have plenty of opportunities to get one-on-one with secondary defenders, and he can definitely make those guys miss. And then finally, you bring back A.T. Perry, a guy that everybody needs to know, should be an All-American this year, at worst a preseason All-American, very long, very rangy, not the fastest guy in the world, but an excellent, excellent receiver with great body control that's a huge threat in the red zone and will get a ton of looks in one-on-one situations because those safeties when playing against this offense, they have a tendency to get rocked to sleep, which allows for plenty of one-on-ones for A.T. Perry to work on the perimeter. So the offense returns just about everybody. So they should be really good there, assuming they can figure out the quarterback situation. Secondly, feel really good about their front seven defensively. Kobe Turner is a transfer from the FCS. He joins a group that is really disruptive and can cause some problems that will leave offensive lines on island. So if offensive linemen, some of these offenses, they go one-on-one basically across the board. And if you leave Wake Forest defensive line in one-on-ones against opposing offensive line, the chances of them winning one of those five matchups is pretty dang high. That's a disruptive group. And I'm really curious. Like I said, Kobe turned the transfer, really curious to see what he does 
here at the highest level of college football. And then finally, I think you've added a key difference maker as your defensive coordinator in Brad Lambert, formerly of Charlotte. He was the head coach. Last year, he was at Purdue. He was the defensive coordinator at Purdue. And what he did with George Karloftis and what he did with that group last year, granted, they had have great performances all the time, but for the most part, they did some good things. I think he did a solid job last year. Now he comes down and think he's been there before. He was there under Jim Grobe. So he's familiar with the terrain at Wake Forest. He understands the type of player. He understands the type of scheme that's going to allow Wake Forest to be at their best because he was there when Wake Forest was, in fact, at their best. He's a great person. He'll do a great job on the recruiting trail as well. So those are the, that's, those are the things for Wake Forest. Do I think they get back to the 10-win plateau? I don't. Not unless they can get Sam Hartman healthy and get him back on the field as soon as humanly possible. I love what Dave Clawson's built. I love their identity offensively. I think they could score points. I think they're better on defense than people like to suggest. But to think in that division, getting back to 10, knowing that your quarterback is a huge question mark, to me, I think it's going to be very difficult to reach that 10-win number. All right, what a great show today, breaking down some of those teams from a year ago. Of course, all three with high expectations, as they should have high expectations every single year, but might be tough for some to replicate the success of 2021. So really enjoyed the breakdowns of Michigan State, Oklahoma, and Wake Forest. We'll do it again. We have more teams we need to get to. We'll get to those at a later date. Thanks for being with us. Like I said, please always like, rate, and subscribe wherever it is you're getting the content. It helps us out. It helps out the show. You can interact with the show. Toss us some questions. We need to add some more questions. We only have like 175 questions in the mailbag right now. We need to start getting to some of those. So hit us up in our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. You can also interact with the show on Instagram and Twitter at alwayscfb. For all of us here at Always College Football, he's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. We really appreciate you being with us, and we hope you have a wonderful weekend. And remember... It's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.